Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Anita J, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 30th, 2018, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 11 of Vision for You on page 151. We'll be reading the second paragraph, which begins, the less people tolerate us. And we will focus our comments on that one paragraph. Today's readers are for the 12 Steps, Karen K, the 12 OA Traditions, Dana M, and readers of the text this morning are Nessa R, Lisa H, and our uh, backup will be Carmela G. The share ID numbers for Monday, October 29th, the 7 a.m. meeting, is 12,112. 12,112. And we had a little glitch for the 10 a.m. meeting. And I, I don't know what it is yet. When I discover it, I'll tell you at the end, all right? Okay. Um, And the newcomer greeter will be Deborah E. And the 8 a.m. host, Rebecca F. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members, and we are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I'll now ask Karen Kay to read OA's 12 steps for us. Good morning, this is Karen Kay, Compulsive Overeater in New York. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 
Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the results of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Karen Kay. And we will now have Dana M. read Always 12 Traditions. Hi, Anita. Can I be heard? This is Dana M. Yes. Yes, Dana. Thank you. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks so much for allowing me to serve. Thank you very much, Dana M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature and then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. 
Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we are resuming our study of the big book and we are on page 151 in chapter 11 A Vision for You. We are reading one paragraph, the second paragraph, The Less People Tolerated Us. And to get us started, I have asked Nessa R. to begin. Morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning, Anita. Um, this is Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada, and uh, very grateful to be able to uh, do service for this wonderful meeting. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, this chilling vapor that his loneliness settled down, it thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought our outsorted places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily, we did. Then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. Wow. Um, this is a very accurate picture of, um, of where I've been. Um, I remember the, the, the very first few times that I read this chapter, I couldn't understand why, you know, we had to dredge out the past. You know, why did we have to go through all this reminiscing of, you know, the, the, the least um, proud moment of, of, my, of my life. Um, and, you know, the, the truth is that before, I know where I'm going. I need to know where I've been. You know, I've been taught, you know, in that regard that, you know, step one tells me where I am. Step two tells me where I want to be. And step three tells me how to get there. Um, the other steps are the actual work to get there. And, you know, um, one of the promises uh, from step nine is we will not regret the past or, or wish to shut the door on it because it becomes the greatest asset. And why is it the greatest asset? Because it enables me to reach out to others who are still suffering um, and by telling them um, my story, you know, and some of the things that I used to do with food, um, they can identify in and they can see that I understand because, you know, if I walk into a room full of people who, who are thin and happy, I think like, this is not what I need. I'm, I'm fat and miserable. Like, what am I doing here? Um, but, you know, when I am able to say, you know, I've been where you are and you can be where I am now, um, that makes for an awesome, um, powerful combination to, to try to carry the message. And, you know, the other thing that uh, jumped out at me from this reading, you know, obviously the hideous four horsemen. And I must say that I experienced these serious 
this hideous uh, four horsemen, whether I was in the field or whether I was out of the field, because food was my king, king food, and it didn't really matter whether I was I was running to it or running away from it because it dominated my thoughts. You know, when I was eating, it was okay. How am I going to, what am I going to eat? How am I going to do it? How am I going to clean it up? And when I wasn't eating, it was like, I need to hold on. I need to hold on. I need to hold on. I can't have the food, you know, and it, it was really my king. Nothing else um, came into my, into my mind. And so I, I need to remember this um, before um, I am receptive to, um, to, to, to have the solution and to do everything I need to do to recover. Anyhow, with that, I pass. Thank you for the ability to do service. Well, thank you, Nessa. Now I'll open it up. Who else would like to share on the second paragraph? Charles on page? H. Tina H. Charles. Okay, just a minute. Charles and the Katie. And Tina H. Tina S. Craig. Craig S. Larry. Harlan okay, G. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Harlan. Harlan. Wait, everybody. Oh, uh, there was a little lady's voice in there after Tina. And then Siobhan. came Craig. Was Barbara. it Siobhan? Oh, no, it was Siobhan. Barbara E. Barbara E. And Very then Siobhan. Oh. All right. I think I've got our first lineup. And it is. Okay, here we go. We have we have a big lineup here. Charles H, Katie, Tina, Barbara E. Um, there's a my own handwriting, and then Craig F, um, Harlan, and oh yes, Barbara E, Larry, Craig F, Harlan, and Siobhan. Okay, I think that's us. All right, Charles H., good morning to you. Good morning, Anita Baker. You handle that like a superstar, like you always do. Um, <laughs> Charles H., this is, a, this is a great reading, Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. I want to just drill down where it says, um, the less people tolerated us, and I want to talk about the subjects of king alcohol. Now. Um, it was king alcohol when I had that mentality of walking a tiger, taking a tiger out of the cage three times a day. You know, I, I heard that over this weekend, and, you know, I disturbed that talking because that talking is from ground zero. And you know what? People tolerated me, and they didn't tolerate me because, you know, I, I came on that weekend to disturb people. And people that call me, I'm still trying to disturb them because, that's what y'all did for me when I said, y'all crazy. What you talking about, I can't have this. What you talking about, I can't have that. And we had some sick people around the world talking about, um, you know, we can, we, can, we can have anything in moderation. And I gave them the crack analogy, and, um, and they kind of, they kind of, like, we, we, it was a doctor's opinion workshop, and we had people saying, yeah, we're going we're gonna to commit our food plan. Well, let me disturb you with this question. If you can have moderation, things in moderation, why are you committing a food plan? And it was tight. And that's good. That's good, right? And it's not king alcohol today. And it's not king alcohol happily because 
I deal with ground zero every single day, but it's not a problem. I'm not walking no tiger because a tiger will destroy me. I'm walking a boo-boo kitty cat, and it's such a loving and beautiful. Sometimes I got to remind myself, yo, you know, it's time to go eat because I'm having purpose in life because of being at Chapter 11, bankruptcy. And as my friend said the other day, this was the last chapter written before the big book was published. Matter of fact, it was written close to April, right before it went to the press. So this is an overview of, of, of the happiness, but we have to talk about the disturbance and King Alcohol when I wasn't at ground zero. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Charles. Uh, Katie and then Tina. Good, Good morning, morning Anita. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic. Yeah, I love the line, the more, um, the less people tolerated us, the more people, the more we withdrew from life. I mean, how much did I withdraw from life and um, my behaviors because I thought the world in my self-centered fear, I thought the world hated me. And whether that was true or not, I have a feeling it wasn't. But when I operated from this fear that you hate me, everything that you did was evidence. And so everyone in the world, whether they knew me or not, they hated me. So I hated you back. And then eating was a step up, right? Eating was my excuse. Eating was my reason. Well, go you know, screw all of you. I'm going to sit here and eat. I'm going to eat at you. I'm going to eat at you in OA. You guys don't do this for me. I'm going to eat at you and see how, see how punished you are, right? Guess what? It doesn't work. And I think, too, of the years that I withdrew from society in abstinence as a member of Overeaters Anonymous committing my food and so afraid because I didn't have the people skills. When I made an amend to a woman and she said, yeah, Katie, you have a lot of ambition. You don't have any people skills. She's right because I spent the whole, my whole life relating to food, my body, laxatives, Ipecac, being thin. Right? And so I would clean my house from top to bottom when I was the only one there every weekend and didn't even have an animal. You know, I wish I had that kind of time now. It would be really great, but I don't. So, you know, whatever. And I ask myself today, like, um, how, how well am I participating in society? Excuse me, hiccups. How well am I participating in society today? Am I withdrawing from life? You know, am I, am I, am I being a member in good standing of Overeaters Anonymous? Am I contributing or am I withdrawing from life? Because, you know, frankly, my diseased thinking can be, you know what, it would be a lot easier if I didn't show up. My, my diseased thinking is, I don't want to be there. I don't want to go there. And thank you, God, for this, this, these 12 steps that remind me I have a purpose purpose today. My purpose is to stay abstinent and to help other women and to say, you too can be free. And that there's so much life to live. There's so much to do. Um, and, and that we can do it in a way that we have honor, dignity, and grace. And that doesn't mean that um, I don't mess up, but it means that I don't operate from this fear anymore that everybody hates me. You know, and if I am there, I go back to God and I say, God, show me, how should I be today? How do I contribute compassion, patience, kindliness, and love to this world today? So it is such a privilege. If you are, you know, tearing and, and wondering if you should do the work, jump in 110%. You will not regret a day. I certainly don't. And with that, I pass.
Hey, thank you very much, Katie. Tina and then Barbara. Go ahead. Thanks so much, Anita. Uh, thanks for your service, Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater Anorexic in Florida. Wow, some great stuff already this morning. It's a wonderful meeting. It's great to be on the line. And, you know, I love this chapter. And, you know, the first thing I think about when I read A Vision for You is, how do I get here from there? And, it, and that's exactly what this paragraph tells me, how I get here from there. And, um, you know, I love what was shared. In order to, to show you where I'm going, I have to sh- I have to show you where I've been. And that is the same for me. You know, if I didn't live in the face of the hideous four horsemen, I wouldn't want a solution like what was talked about. If I was living happy, joyous, and free, I didn't need to come to Overeaters Anonymous or any other 12-step program that I'm a member of. But that was not the case for me. You know, I lived in terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. You know, and it's, I love that it says unhappy drinkers who read this will understand. You know, that's why I, I get on the line. That's why I go to meetings, because you all understand. You know, and today I don't have to live that life. That's the good news, you know. And the bad news is I can still live that life if I choose to. You know, today for me, as long as I don't put my alcoholic foods in my body, I have a shot from the get-go. And, you know, and the things that I do in the morning, you know, to ask for direction throughout the day is what keep me connected and and have a, this contact with the power greater than myself that gives me a connection with you all. You know, and and I, too, was one of those, if the less people tolerated me, the more I withdrew, you know, and I like that it talks about king alcohol, because that was my God, that was my king, and today, I serve a different God, you know, and I have a different life, and I'm sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free, and with that, I'll pass, thanks. Thanks so much, Tina S. Barbara E., followed by Larry K. Thank you so much. Can I be heard right now? Yes, you can. Oh, wonderful. Well, first of all, I would just like to say that yesterday, as I was in the hospital, what I would have done over 20 years ago is run to the uh, convenience store, run to the cafeteria, and eat to calm my nerves. But what I did instead was pray, pause, plug in and listen to all of you as I waited for my son to get out of surgery. But that was today in 2018. And to get to what I was like back then, it says the less people tolerated me. I couldn't say that. I think because I was eating to fill the void, I tried harder, just like that old commercial. But I did not tolerate myself. I felt isolated. I felt lonely. I felt blacker than I ever had before. I was white-knuckling abstinence. Those four horsemen for me, bewilderment, failing again, without thought of the consequences, just not caring sometimes. Why bother? I already know how it's going to end. Frustration with myself, despair, terror of defeat, death by knife and fork, or suicide, if you will, by fork. White knuckling it, as I said, lying to myself that I'm happy when all I wanted to do was eat without consequences. I just wanted to eat, so the feeling of pains and emotions would settle down 
why, always asking myself why I did it again. My family was normal. My friends appeared normal, but I couldn't look anyone in the eye. Now, those four horsemen, hopelessness. Today, I feel hope, bewilderment. Today, I feel confidence and conviction, despair. Today, I feel joy, terror. Today, I feel courage. Have to go back to the hospital again with our son to see how he did on the day after surgery. I will take you and this program with me. It's a program that works, but I had to give in and give up and get going and work my rear end off. It's not easy, but it's simple. The directions are there in the textbook. And it's such a beautiful program. Those four horsemen do not have to visit me again if I'm willing to stay, take step one and 12, Hi. through 12, the whole day. Take it with me, folks. Thank you. I pass. Thanks so much, Barbara. Larry, good morning. And then it'll be great. Anita. Good morning, Hello. Anita. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> hey, and here we're laughing and we're talking about terror, frustration, right? Crazy. Yeah. Okay, but I, I'll share. I'll share just um, uh, a little bit about my my deal. So I'm going to paint a picture for you. You know, I remember you know, the bewilderment really hits me. The I was perplexed. I was confused, and it, it brought on frustration. So there I was. You know, I could. I I, I was uh, teaching. This is um. You know, I'm going back in my mind. It could have been any given day. And one moment I'm, you know, I, I walk into, I put on my tweed jacket, right? I got the professor uniform on. I got a picture of that. I got my jeans on, but I got the, the size 50 uh, tweed jacket and I put it on and I, I walk into the classroom. And, you know, the classroom sometimes was, you know, 30 or 50. Sometimes there were bigger ones. It was, you know, it could be 300. It could be a lecture hall. And I felt such confidence walking in. Now, at the same time, earlier that morning, what was I doing? Now, sometimes, many times I was stuffing my face, that's for sure. But I was doing other things. See, I was, I was um, you know, I was busting windshields. There was a time that I had busted a windshield. And I was busting relationships. You know, you talk about frustration and terror. Sometimes there were panic attacks. And there was anxiety and fear. And yet, when I put on that tweed jacket and I go in that classroom, boy, talk about incongruent. I was a different person, see, because I had, I didn't realize it at the time that I had a, I had a uh, spiritual malady. I just thought that I was, you know, I was 100 pounds heavier. And you would, you know, you'd, if you'd see me in my tweed jacket, you know, you, you, you didn't have to avert your gaze or, or anything, you know. But I, I tell you, you know, what was I doing? You know, that was for an hour or two or maybe three hours. What was I doing the rest of the day? You know, pizza boxes and driving to one fast food restaurant after another. You talk about feeling fraudulent and incongruent and perplexed and frustrated and fearful and all those things. That's what I felt. And I couldn't figure it out. See, in my world, most things 
I could think my way out of them, or so I thought. I could think, but I couldn't think my way out of this quicksand. And so I continued to put on that big oversized tweed jacket and try to show up. It wasn't until I came into this program that I began to see the truth. Was I ready to wave the white flag? Not, from, not right away. Bring on the pain, baby. Bring on more pain. We have an uncanny ability to feel emotional and physical pain day after day after day until we're ready to wave the white flag. So anyways, thanks, Anita, and I pass. Thanks so much, Larry. All right, we have Craig, and then it'll be Holland. Morning, Craig. Good morning. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Thanks, Craig. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. This is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I'm uh, the the pros of this paragraph are are uh, are great. I, I really think that he was in these bills in his best form when he was writing this. Um, and you know, he paints a really wonderful word picture. Um, you know, so, some of it translates a little strange from alcohol to food. Um, but certainly, uh, the it, it it certainly applies to me. Um, you know, this idea of uh, the less people tolerated us. You know, and, and whether people were tolerating me or not, uh, I had the feeling that they weren't. It was my own, um, my guilt, my shame, my uh, poor self-image that made me think that uh, people were judging me as much as maybe I was judging them. And, and and so my withdrawal from society had a lot as much to do with uh, my uh, my own perspective as it did any uh, lack of toleration of, from the people around me. I, I spent a lot of weekends where uh, in, in relapse and, and in the disease where um, I would come home from work on Friday night and not start my vehicle again until Monday morning, time to go back to work, as long as the refrigerator was stocked, uh, which I've made sure it always was. Um, I, you know, I, I and not talk to anybody on the phone uh, or let alone walk outside and say hi to a neighbor. Uh, in, in other words, in, in total isolation. But even in recovery, uh, I can tend to isolate sometimes. Uh, even though I'm speaking to my uh, uh, to sponsorees every day and speaking to my sponsor every day, there's still a part of me that uh, that um, just likes to hole up, you know. And uh, especially coming into winter, you know, just hole up, watch it snow or whatever it's doing outside. And and the fact is that uh, when I'm doing that, I'm not asking myself, what can I pack into the stream of life? You know, how can I be of service to God and others today? Because you're not, I can't really be of service to God and others uh, with my feet up in my easy chair and the TV on and, and uh, you know, no matter how well I'm eating today, no matter how much recovery I think I have, I, I have to find a way to be a part of the world and and uh, you know I've I've been working with my sponsor about making deliberate 
I have to do things deliberately usually, whether it's starting to pray or or, or starting to uh, to meditate. I have to do them deliberately until they become uh, uh, habits and a part of my my nature. And you know, I've been working with my sponsor. I'm being deliberate about oh, uh, time, please. Oh, thank you. About becoming part of the world again. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Craig. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Anita, and thank you for your service. Thank you to Team Tuesday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. This paragraph hits me very hard. This paragraph hits me hard because I was not tolerated by people. I went into public places and children laughed at me. Adults laughed at me. People slapped my stomach and I didn't even know them. On more than one occasion, I've had people come up to me in a restaurant where I was eating by myself and take food off my plate and give it to the busboy and say, he's way too fat, he doesn't need this, and I didn't even know them. I've had people abuse me in every way that you can be abused, ignoring me, laughing at me, making me the butt of jokes. I've had fat intolerance from within the walls of OA, where it's supposed to be a safe place. I have a vivid memory of being late for a Sunday morning big book meeting at Swedish Covenant Hospital in Chicago on the north side. And a woman there, when I walked behind her to get to an empty chair, she asked me in a nice way after the meeting not to walk behind her because if I have a heart attack and I fall on her, she's very afraid that I'm going to break her leg. I have had people turn their most vicious side to me because I was morbidly obese. I had to pretend that it didn't hurt me. I had to pretend that the loneliness didn't kill me. It says in Bill's story, the mind and mechanism are marvelous, the mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine endured this two more years. Mine endured it a lot more than two more years. The physical pain, the loneliness, I was never touched unless it was in an abusive way. I was emasculated and thrown aside and torn to pieces by this disease. If I did to you what this disease did to me, I'd be in jail. This is a vicious illness. It was very vicious to me, and I'm sure it was very vicious to anyone listening to this. Terror, you betcha. Bewilderment, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what I was doing still alive, and I didn't understand why people treated me this way when I knew in my mind I was still a nice guy. Well, nice had nothing to do with it. Frustration, you bet, and despair. The only word they didn't put in there was suicidal. If I had the onions, I would have killed myself. But I'm alive today, and there's only one reason I'm alive today. And it is to be of maximum service to God and the people about me. I do not know how I survived or why. But I do know this. If it were not for you, and it were not for this book, and it were not for a loving, munificent God, I not only would, would, be, I would not only be 
I would not be alive and I would not be able to tell you what it's like on that other side. And I wouldn't speak and understand the language of the heart that I learned so well in my pain. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Harlan. And Siobhan, please go ahead. Siobhan? Hi, hi. I'm sorry. Thank you. I was trying to, I was, I was muted. Um, (laughs) Can I be be heard? Yes. And what's the initial of your last name? It's C and it's spelled S-I-O-B-H-A-N. So, hi, I'm, good morning. I'm Siobhan. I'm a recovered available sponsor and I am so grateful to have woken up at 4 a.m. because my higher power has filled my gas tank with this excitement to share my enthusiasm that there is solution. Um, so the less people tolerated, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. I knew I was powerless, and I was ready to admit defeat and failure, step one. I heard freedom on this line. It was the first call I ever made at 7 a.m., step two. But I didn't believe in God or a power greater than myself. But I was willing, step three. But I didn't know how to get to that freedom. I couldn't read all the pages required by most sponsors to get started because I have ADHD. I couldn't have abstained from sugar and flour required by Visions Free Program because it set me up for anticipated deprivation and a binge. But I went to any length and I found a sponsor, one sponsor in Australia, who, who said she wasn't, going to give, she wasn't going to be my food sponsor and she wouldn't require any food plans. In fact, she said we would never discuss food because of the illness, my illness of the compul- compulsive overeating wasn't my problem, wasn't a prob- my problem or my solution. Um, I mean, it wasn't a problem or a solution. And she would help me get complete freedom from all of my resentments, hurts, fears, and guilt that made me eat. We did all the 12 steps in five days. I binged throughout all the steps until I made my first three amends in step nine. I had 30 pages of amends containing hundreds of amends. I put all of them in the now category because I wanted freedom now, not later, never, or maybe. I surrendered my fear of going to jail for all the crimes of moral turpitude I thought would get would get me disbarred from the New York State Bar because I'm an attorney. I have, I, I, um, and, you know, before that, it was like, yeah, like, I mean, God, I look back. I cannot believe five days before I was an attorney who was unemployed, under the covers, lying to everybody, couldn't get honest, um, wasn't willing to trust a therapist, wasn't willing. I was in constitutionally, constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself or with others. And I just got the gift of desperation, which was just the mere willingness to do the steps. She told me that, she told me that my, um, my eating was just a band-aid for life, for my coping in life. And do I want to rip it off slowly or, or, or not at all or, you know, um, or fast? And so I said, I want to do it fast. Um, I thought it wasn't working because I kept binging. Um, I was honest throughout that I was binging. But she said, I don't want to hear about the food. Don't worry. It's all going to stop at step 10. And it did. Five days later, that's how I take people through it. And I have about seven sponsees. I have about seven sponsees right now maybe eight or nine because I've got two others on their inventory. Everybody gets started in their inventory within 15-minute call. 
And I sponsor mm-hmm. like for ADD people. Thank you. You didn't have, you can still pass. You don't have to just stop talking. I respect time boundaries because I don't overeat people's time. Thank you. Oh, all right. Well, it was wonderful to hear you. Thank you so much. And now I'm going to open up the lines again for that page, second paragraph on page 151. Kathy Kay. Kathy Kay. Russ, Russ, and there was another woman. There was a woman beside Kathy who was Leah S. Leah M. And Leah well. M. Aaron M. And who? Aaron M. Aaron M. All right, let's stop right there and let's see how this works. Okay, Kathy K. and Leah S. and Russ M. and Leah M. and Aaron M. All right, Kathy, good morning. Thank you, Anita, for your service. It's Kathy K. I'm recovered in Boston. And I love reading again about the Four Horsemen. Um, They are a touch point for me, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. Because before I came into recovery, I woke up every morning with all of these. It was just a way of life for me. to be despairing and afraid and frustrated that things weren't going my way. And I didn't know any other way. Um, And I remember um, being introduced to these four horsemen and um, being very incredulous that someday they would not be a way of life for me. And I am amazed today um, that when I wake up in the morning, as soon as I connect with my higher power, I feel a sense of calm um, and confidence and willingness to partner through my day. And these negative experiences Uh, are just not staring me in the face. It truly is a miracle. And um, I'm just so grateful to be reading this again, to be reminded of the journey and and what I need to do to keep on the path. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kathy. Um, Leah S., good morning to you. Leah? Leah S? Okay, am I being heard now? Yes, you are. Oh, okay. Thank you, Anita. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, we have come through this chapter. We have gone through all these chapters. And I would hope that um, for those of you who are going, th- who have been through these chapters, are abstinent now, and are finally have gone through the steps as well. And what is the vision for you? 
Do not forget where you're coming from. Do not forget your deepest, deepest um, desperation that brought you into these rooms. In this paragraph alone, we have four words of isolation. Withdrew. Um, loneliness. Sordid places. Um, oblivion. Those were all the isolation uh, process that I had been through and that I wanted to go through. And and my my solution was the lack of power that I had. On page 45, they elaborate about that. Um, this This paragraph is so much all of the steps you know, remember where you're coming from, where I wanted so badly. I was hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. These were all my illusions, the illusions that I, that you know, I am going to. And then I was, again, um, I catapulted into oblivion because I used to use the food so much. So um, this is really a gentle reminder that just spread it out. Tell people that are willing to listen that this is where you're coming from and how we are living today. And there is so much hope out there. And thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thanks so much, Leah. Uh, Russ M., and then it'll be Leah M. Morning, Russ. Morning, Nita. Good morning, my fellows. Russ M., a car compulsive over here outside of Philly. Um, the four horsemen, right? So coming from a wrestling perspective, being in the pro wrestling business, and the four horsemen were legendary, and they took everybody out. And they were, they were very popular and powerful in the wrestling business. Well, in life, these four horsemen took me out. Yeah, that terror, uh, the big watermelon confusion, not knowing what the hell was going on, and frustration to push that I had to take control and do it again and try to just succeed in life and end up failing. But the but the one that the, the one that 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 took me out was despair. So many times, my father, God rest his soul. He said, my boy, the despair is the devil's workshop. You got to start believing in yourself again. You know, you're special. And for years, I, you know, for years, I didn't believe I had a shot. And it wasn't just the food, but it was in life in general. And, uh, you know, this, this disease battered me, man. And it destroyed me. And uh, these these readings today, they really uh, hit me in the heart. But see, the beauty is the miracle of that despair and terrible wilderness frustration that it brought me to my knees, and I had to cry out to God. And uh, we got this beautiful program. Now I'm peeking my head out. I'm, I'm rising again. I'm coming up out of the ashes, you know, just by doing this program, just by just doing what I'm told. And, you know, there's no more panic attacks. Self-loathing is, uh, you know, that's it's reducing. It's not all the way gone. The anxiety's down. And I'm actually functioning like a human being, a normal person. But it was pretty bad there for a while. So I'm just grateful of this program and these, this, this 
I'm just glad I'm a compulsive overeater that was blessed with this disease because I wouldn't be able to function in life. I wouldn't be on this line. I probably would have killed myself, to be perfectly honest with you. Maybe with the food or maybe intentionally because it beat me up, but I have hope, and we all have hope. Any newcomers, just hang in there and do what your sponsor says. Yeah, have a great day. Love you guys. You don't know how much I love this. Oof. God bless you. Have a great day. I think I know, Russ. All right. Leah M., followed by Aaron. Thank you so much. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society and from life itself. Well, that was my experience. Um, you know, I couldn't tolerate me. <laughs> um, you know, I just wanted to rip off my skin and run. Uh, you know, the disease, as I, as I look at the career of my compulsive overeating and the disease, it was really a, you know, turning inward and turning away from the usual means of interacting with people, from the usual means of development, of emotional growth, of emotional maturity, um, spiritual development. Um, I was, you know, truly stunted. As I, as I look through the years of my disease and my career of compulsive overeating, you know, food <laughs> seemed to be the glue that was holding me together. It seemed to be. And it became my mother, my father, my sister, my brother, my friend, my confidant, my lover. Um, there was nothing like sitting in a dark car in a parking lot and just binging my brains out until my eyeballs hurt. You know, but in succumbing to the charms of, you know, cellophane bags and bakery boxes, it's not only that I abandoned other people, people that love me, people that wanted my company, I also abandoned myself, you know, and I gave up any chance of freedom and any chance of personal responsibility, any abdication of personal responsibility, um, and I denied myself life, you know, I denied myself the sweat and, and sweet victories of living life on life's terms. I just didn't, I didn't cope. <laughs> I did not cope. I was stunted emotionally, spiritually. I was bankrupt, and I settled for crumbs. And when I arrived at the doorstep of someone in whom the problem was solved, I was a broken shell of a young human being, a young woman. You know, my big book teaches me leaving aside the drink question, because I had put down the food many times. They tell why living is unsatisfactory. It was going to take a relationship with power and a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And they told me that, um, you know, the program was going to put me together, you know, back together the way God intended me to be. That there was a way out. There was a way to live without having to compulsively overeat. But I had to not compulsively overeat to experience that life. That not compulsively overeating was going to be the beginning of my recovery process, not the end that I was going to have to put down the food so that I could be available, so that I would learn how to live in my house with my husband, with my partner, with my kids, with my job, with my colleagues, with a boss, with a mother and father, and not compulsively overeat to stand it and do it happily, and do it happily. That was the secret of the 12 steps. That was the secret, secret of a relationship with God. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Leah M., and Aaron M., good morning. 
Good morning. This is Erin from North of Boston. I'm anorexic and bulimic. And um, um, the less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from life. Uh, at one time, I was, I was um, when I was in recovery from my eating disorder, and um, well, I've been sober for 20 years now. Today is my 20th, 20 year anniversary, and my husband is uh, sober over 32 years. But so at one time, um, when I was in recovery um, for a long uh, period, uh, my husband and I, I was, I was taking him everywhere. I mean, I, I was a, you know, we were going to the theater in Boston all the time. He has a parking space in Boston because he, he works in Boston, and. Um, so I was going to book clubs, um, and and uh, we were going on hikes, and I even got him, I mean, he's a biker, and I got him to go to that way with me, uh, and uh, we go to the Red Sox, and uh, I mean, if any new experience, Blue Man Group, uh, we were doing everything, and we had a great time together. Um, we're, we're pretty much opposites, too. I'm more of a, um, I like intellectual things more than he does. He really prefers, you know, other things. But we, we were, you know, we were going to do all kinds of things. Anytime anyone mentions anything new, I said yes. And then he would go, he would say no at first, and then he'd go along. But uh, then um, I I stepped into relapse, and my and my eating disorder was just actually was kicking my ass because when I go down, when I drink, I'm a blackout drinker. When I smoke, it's three packs a day till I have bronchitis. And when I eat... Um, my eating disorder, I, I go, you know, my weight plummets, you know, 70 pounds. Uh, and so um, I felt, and, and I don't feel anymore. I mean, I don't feel, I don't feel like I have a lot of feelings anyway, but I'm totally numb. I, I actually felt like I was a non-human, no emotion, and just sort of a walking shell. Um, my family disowned me. Um, my sister, my two nieces whom I loved, like my own children, I couldn't have children because of my eating disorder. My uh, gynecologist told me uh, if I was ever to conceive, a child would never be able to um, develop in my womb because it was my gynecology was that of a child. So I was disowned for 10 years, greater than 10 years by my family. I was invited to any holidays, and I was completely outcast. Um, and so when I went out in society, uh, I was just I was wearing a baseball cap and looking down. Um, and uh, the only thing I didn't I didn't care to be around people. And they actually taped brown bags um, to the inside of my window so no one could see in and absolutely no light would come in. And uh, I, uh, animals weren't the only thing I wanted to be around. I always loved babies and animals. Uh, and then I would go with my husband sometimes um, when he went away for work or whatever. And and I'd go up, when I went up to the hotel room, if there were men on the elevator, it seemed as though every almost every stop, the man would ask me, I mean, I would dress decent, but the men would ask me if I wanted to get off that job with him. And I said to Joe, I don't understand that these men are perverts. He said, Aaron, he has a history of, I'm sorry. He said, they think you're a drug whore, Aaron. That's what's happening because you're so skinny. So um, anyway, um, I'll just end with this, that um, I, I felt like Bill Wilson when he was looking out, watching the world and wondering, how do normal people do it? Well, I know how they do it now, you know, after, um, you know, I know what it's like to be in recovery, and I know how they do it. So thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks so much for sharing, Erin M. Uh, here, it's perfect, 7.55. Thank you to everyone who shared. And the share ID for today's meeting, which we have just been a part of, is 12,116. One two one one six, and yesterday's ten a.m. meeting was twelve thousand one one four. 
And now um, we're going to close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Lisa H. please read a vision for you? Good morning. Thank you. This is Lisa H. Recovered in Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.